The scripture lesson for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, in the first chapter, beginning at the 26th verse. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Continuing in the 47th verse, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is an additional passage of scripture often read on the fourth Sunday of Advent, it is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Some have called it a love letter from Paul to the church because in it he cannot say enough about his affection for the people of the church in Philippi. As we come to the end of an extraordinary year of church with challenges still before us, I read those words of Paul this week and was reminded of my own love for the dedicated staff of our church and for so many of you who have supported them with cards and emails and phone calls and all kinds of encouragement this year. 
Our church has pivoted and pivoted and pivoted again in the last several months to be church in faithful ways. And from our custodians to our pastoral care staff, from office workers to musicians to educators, and to all of those of you who have encouraged them, Knox Presbyterian Church is truly an amazing group of people. As we begin our time with God's word today, I invite you to hear Paul's words to one of his churches in his own time and to receive his words as a blessing I wish for all of you. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. We will make it through this time together, my friends. I am blessed by all of you. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with the truth of your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The arc of this past year has been so strange and amazing. Try to think back to a whole year ago and our curiosity about whether or not this coronavirus was going to come our way. And then it came, fast, embarrassing our naive curiosities. It hit the east and the west coasts and big cities hard, and then it came for every corner of our country. We have spent most of the year now caught between grief over what has been lost and hope for when things might get better. We are living through this mix of grief and hope again right now with the current surge of cases alongside the great hope of emerging vaccines. All along the way we have wondered, what are we learning from this? How will it reshape our lives? What will look different forever? These are curious questions. Questions that will be different from one person to the next. Questions for which no one has all of the answers. And these are questions of possibility. Questions of what might be. We ask them today, caught in a situation that a year ago we could hardly have imagined. I would suggest that the message of Christmas is especially useful at a time like this. It is the story of a family who find themselves shocked by circumstances they could never have imagined. It is a story of possibility, a new life God teaches them to imagine. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, 
to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is how the story begins. Notice that God sends the angel not to the big city, but to the countryside. Not to the temple or to a palace, but to a small town that had neither. Not to a royal princess, but to a woman whose name is Mary, one of the most frequently heard names in the Bible. All of this is to say that at the beginning, Mary is nobody. The Christian traditions of the last 2,000 years have conditioned us to see Mary as holy, flawless, extraordinary, uniquely chosen among all people. But the story itself does not say that. The story goes out of its way to say that Mary is ordinary, which is to say that she is everybody. God might send an angel into the life of any one of us. When God has a plan for you, there are no prerequisites. And maybe a bit more scary, when God has a plan for you, there is nowhere to hide. Mary and Joseph are told news that is shocking. News they never could have imagined. You will conceive and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, it is said to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary is not yet pregnant. She and Joseph both know they have not been together. So how can any of this even be possible? And that's to say nothing of what the angel says the child will become. It is the most unbelievable news they could imagine. And Gabriel sets it up by saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. That sounds pretty nice on the surface, but stop and think about it for a moment. Do you really want to be favored by God? When someone finds favor with God in the Bible, something quite significant is expected in response. Life is probably easier if you don't find favor with God. It might be easier if God doesn't find you at all. But God's favor is a blessing. It contains amazing possibilities for a life that Mary never could have imagined, and so the angel invites her to consider it. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. Mary gives it a lot of thought. We do know that. In the few short verses of this story, the story tells us that Mary was perplexed, that she wondered, that in confusion she asked, how can this be? And that in a step toward commitment, she said words we've heard in the Bible before. She says, here I am. And even when the child comes, she will continue to wonder. She will treasure all these words and ponder them in her
her heart. Mary comes to understand these unimaginable events. She comes to understand them as acts of possibility. What is God trying to teach me? How will it reshape my life? What will be different forever? I wonder if Mary is able to do that. Not because she is extraordinary, but because she finds herself in the midst of a story she has heard somewhere before. And she wonders if she too can be part of it. She recognizes a story she's heard many times before. The moment that angel says, do not be afraid. New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine suggests a helpful, if surprising, way to understand what's happening in this story. You might remember, she says, when the show Law and Order first came out. That show was a big hit. The show had a pattern, the crime scene, the investigation, the building of the case, the trial. It's such a compelling story that they spun it out week after week for years on end. And even when that show got canceled, it was replaced by SVU and NCIS and CSI, all of which played on that same basic theme that listeners had learned to get excited about. This is called a literary convention. The writers of those TV dramas knew how to fit new stories into a model they knew was reaching people. Now, says Amy Jill Levine, the Bible repeats its stories not only to entertain, but even more to instruct and inspire and astound. These stories make the impossible possible in our minds and hearts. And they do so with power because we have seen it play, take place time and again in the lives of the faithful who have gone before us. This is what happens when an angel appears in the Bible. All of the following are stories about a miraculous and unexpected birth. It happens with Hagar and then with Sarah and Abraham, and then with Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, all of those in the book of Genesis. It happens with the wife of Manoah in the book of Judges, and with Hannah, the mother of Eli, in the book of Samuel. And then in the New Testament, Luke picks up this model with his story of Elizabeth, the sister of Mary, the mother of John the Baptist, and that story is coupled with the one that we read today, the story of Mary the greatest annunciation of them all, the birth of Jesus. Over and over, over and over, the angel appears and says, do not be afraid. Amy Jill Levine says, these stories would have been so deep in the conscience of the people of Israel. She imagines them gathering in house churches and listening to the stories told out loud. And the stories had become such a part of the fabric of their lives that when the angel appears, the people in the house meeting leap to their feet and they say, I know what the angel says. The angel says, do not be afraid. Mary. Mary has heard these stories so many times that she might have dreamt about it. 
She might have wondered if God would work in her life too in ways that are mysterious and powerful and wonderful. Even though it is frightening, she wonders if she can be not afraid the way that her forebears had done. What do we learn from this story? How might it reshape our lives? What could be different forever? What might be possible if I could be unafraid? These are the questions of Christmas. The challenges brought by a mysterious story of a child in a manger who came as unexpectedly as anything in the world. Mary found favor with God. I mentioned that. And I mentioned that God's favor requires a response. Mary's response comes not only in what she believes God is doing in her life, but what she believes God intends in the lives of other people. For all of God's children. Her response is captured in Mary's own words that follow the visit of the angel, the prayer that we have come to know as the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor upon the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary hears the challenge given to her ancestors. She understands her part in it. She responds, knowing that God's love is for all of God's children, and she intends to be a part of it. Christmas brings a challenge to all of us. Some of us love the story, the music, the candle lighting, and even the holy mysteries of what God's Holy Spirit is doing in this strange and wonderful story of faith. But we aren't ready to sing the Magnificat, to ask what this story means for people in desperation who need help, to acknowledge that we who live comfortably need to be the ones to help them. Others among us may need a different Christmas challenge. Christmas has become for us an important time of providing food and clothing and gifts, giving away money and making commitments to justice for the impressed. But we have shielded ourselves from the supernatural in this story. The ways in which the Holy Spirit might be at work to change our hearts 
to help us feel the love of God as we have never felt it before. Mary reminds us of both. And so will Jesus in the way that he comes, humble and vulnerable. A child in a manger, he comes to save the world. He will not do it by dominating others, but by caring for them. He will not reign with riches and an army, but by calling the powerful to act with justice. He will do it by reminding them that the good life is where love is found. It is a call that can be taken up by any of us and all of us. We know that because the call came first to Mary, who did not receive it because she was perfect, but to show us that God invites all of us to be not afraid. The angel shows up again and again to show us that divine messengers can be anywhere.